Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Creative Insider podcast number 86 with me, Georgi Leshtarsky. In this episode, we had the pleasure to have on one of the co-founders of the Dutch architectural practice Studio Nine Dots, and that is Metin van Zeil. It was a very inspiring uh, conversation about architecture, about how they have started the company, what is to lead a company like this, their concept of WeSpace, their design philosophy, and how it is possible to sell such more advanced and unconventional architectural projects to their clients. So I suggest you to listen to the full conversation. And if you have the opportunity, I suggest you also to go on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, which you can find the link in the description of the podcast, because in the video format, you'll be able to see some of the project that he mentions along the conversation. Uh, I want to thank you one more time, Metin, for making time to join us for the conversation. And um, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to stay in touch with us, remember to subscribe our newsletter and check out our social media in the description. Enjoy the conversation with Metin Fanzai. Hello, Metin. Good evening. Welcome to the Creative Insider. Oh, hello. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, uh, it's a pleasure. It was, uh, it, it, I'm very also honored to have you on because I was uh, telling you in our pre-conversation of the podcast that I've been following uh, the work of your office um, studio uh, Nine Dots for a while and, um, and I love the projects you guys do and uh, it's a pleasure to hear more from, from the kitchen. Um, so... Um, I'm curious always to understand a little bit the background of my guests um, and uh, you are the founder of, of this very successful and uh, I would say now always bigger and bigger office uh, based in the Netherlands. Um, how did you decide to, to start with architecture? Do you have a family background in the field or what was your story about joining the world of architectural design? Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, I don't have a real beautiful answer to that, actually, um, because I was, as a child, I always drew everything. Eh? I was like, uh, uh, especially copying and, and try to, to make it as perfect as possible and then uh, make a story of it. Uh, so I like to draw a lot, but in the classes and school, I, I was quite good at the technical classes eh? so uh, like mathematics or science or whatever that 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 was quite easy for me uh, and all the languages as you can hear eh? listen to my english uh, i was not really good at that so uh, i had a totally technical back background at school but i also like to draw a lot so i was searching when i was able to to do a study i was thinking to myself uh, what 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 is a combination of creativity and technical huh? so it could be anything i didn't have any architectural uh, feeling at all um and then uh, a girlfriend of mine uh, her father was uh, uh, an architect and he really really 
told beautiful stories about the profession architecture. And he told me to, to sign up in Delft. Uh, that's the good school for you. You have to go to the technical university and then uh, that will be uh, perfect for you. Um, so that's basically how I rolled into architecture, but it didn't, I could have also been uh, an industrial designer. <laughs> Uh, as long as it was a combination between something creative and technical, uh, it could have been anything. Yeah, so that's that's it. But the Netherlands are quite advanced in the field of design. I think uh, uh, you mentioned where you studied in Delft is quite a, a, a popular university, I would say, around the world. And I know that they are also... Uh, quite good uh, industrial design schools. I'm not sure in which city, but because of uh, Felix. Also, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah, Felix, yeah, yeah, that's the, that in Eindhoven they have the, the really good one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think the Netherlands are quite uh, fruitful from from the design point um, of view. And uh, did you have uh, also then once you joined the world of, of architecture, did you have also some international experiences? Uh, before joining the 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 professional world, or you you go you went throughout the studies more or less more in in Delft and in the Netherlands. Well, yeah. To continue, almost the first question is that when I went to Delft, uh, I was very uh, curious, of course, uh, if it suits me well and if architecture was the place to be. Uh, and I have to tell you, uh, to be honest, that the first uh, one and a half year was really awful. Um, and I didn't like it at all. I made some really nice friends, uh, but we mostly made uh, music and stuff like that. So we uh, decided to go uh, traveling and um, we wanted to go away. So we bought a ticket with the, the small money we had uh, to go to Brazil to visit a friend of mine. And uh, we stayed in Belo Horizonte. And from there, we did a lot of traveling. And then, uh, yeah, it's mostly coincidence, but we fell in love with the Brazilian architecture. We saw beautiful buildings of uh, modern, modernistic buildings almost from uh, Lina Bobardi, uh, uh, Artigas, uh, Villanova Artigas, or even uh, Niemeyer, of course. And so when I came back from that trip, it, it, I was there for three and a half months. Uh, when I came back, uh, uh, I was really in love with architecture again. And then uh, the second part of my study, so the first part, I didn't like it on the Tate Delft, but the second part was totally different because uh, I had a sort of, uh, it really changed in, inside me that uh, I really loved architecture. And then uh, the, the coincidence was that the school uh, had some money free um, for all the people who wanted to create their own projects. So uh, the, the school asked uh, a lot of students from... Uh, if you have a good idea and if you can find a good architect outside the university, uh, you are able to get him in and then we can do a class with him, lecture with him and, and even a project. So that, uh, that was really, really nice. So when uh, with a few friends, uh, we contacted a lot of beautiful architects, good architects like Winnie Maas or uh, Xavier de Geiter. So that was my international connection a little bit. Uh, so we all invited good architects and they did some a, a course in uh, on the on the TU Delft. Uh, of course, they get paid for it and we love to do the architecture with them. And that was quite a, a lot of fun and that continued all the way to the to graduation. Uh, so we got a lot of lectures from beautiful uh, architects, even around the world, from Hadid to Eisenman. And 
in my period, that was uh, quite something. Uh, the, the, the lecture hall was really full with people. Thousands of people came to only see uh, Eismann speaking or Kohlhaas or whatever. So that was uh, quite enjoyable. So that from then on, after the, after the trip uh, to Brazil, I was really uh, into architecture. Yeah. No, it was a, it sounds like a great start. And I think that's also one of the strengths of the Netherlands uh, as an outsider, outside observer, that uh, generally it's quite open for experiments and uh, also through the projects that you can see built uh, over there. Uh, I mean, I work in Germany and here some of the ideas I see realized in, in the Netherlands will be a little bit <laughs> too much for for our clients, I think. And uh, as you mentioned, some names from the from the scene there, um, there are quite a few quite good and quite, um, yeah, advanced architectural offices. Um, and your office, um, it has this name, not uh, by a case, but Uh, nine dots are as a, if i'm not wrong a nine nine dots nine points of architecture that you have set up together with your partners uh the, which you are partner with and uh, started the office um can you can you explain more about those nine points that you guys have figured out and more also about the other yeah, about the, the other two so to say <laughs> Uh, maybe it's good to, to have a small introduction about that as well. Um, I had a small, uh, after my graduation, I started quite pretty quickly uh, for myself uh, with a friend. And then because I got a commission for my uh, uh, parents-in-law to make their own uh, private house. And it was quite good fun uh, to start with. So to, there was a reason to start my own company together with a friend. And uh, it got published. Uh, we didn't have Instagram at that time or Pinterest or whatever. So the, uh, you all, the only goal for architects at that time was to get into prominent magazines. And um, so we reached uh, some quite some magazines. And then from there, we got some more commissions from interior, uh, a little bit bigger. And uh, uh, later on, uh, um, even a third party, and that's the partner now I'm working with, Vincent, Van der Klei, he is one of the partners who was the third partner in my old company. Um, so that was basically uh, how it a bit started. And then in the office we had, a small office, we were uh, thinking of going different directions. So Vincent and I were thinking of maybe going, uh, seeing the future in this way, and the other partner was seeing the future in another way. So we were rethinking for opportunities uh, to pass by. And then at the same time, You talk about the other two partners because we now have an office with four partners. Uh, the other two partners also had their own company. It was a bit bigger than ours and uh, they are a bit, a bit older and also had more clients and stuff like that. Uh, but they were sort of feeling stuck at one level. So they were a bit bored with what they did and they wanted to reach a, a sort of higher ambition as well. So we got together and we were discussing, okay, what can we do? If we want to do something really ambitious, we should start all over again. So we have to forget uh, the offices we have and then start something completely new with a new name, uh, new uh, identity, everything. And that uh, we thought of a name and uh, that's maybe the answer to your question. Um, but it was really difficult to find a name because as you know, uh, uh, almost if you, have a, if you have one you like, it already exists somewhere in the world. 
so what we did, we were seeking for mostly for really exceptional new ideas. So it also came to mind different words of thinking out of the box or this or that. And then we came up a small game. Uh, I think it's a, it's from the 19th or 18th century. It's a it's a very creative game where you can only solve the puzzle uh, by thinking out of the box. So it's literally nine dots. You have to connect in one straight uh, continuous line in four way four lines. You have to continue all the uh, you have to touch all the nine dots. And uh, when you have a square with nine dots, um, you cannot do that only by going outside the square. So basically you have to be creative. <laughs> that's the whole point to solve that puzzle. Uh, and that's when uh, we stick to the name. Uh, that's how it started. And it was quite fun uh, thinking a name, but we had like hundreds uh, who failed. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, that's uh, the name also represents uh, quite then what turned out to be the work of the of the project. Um, but I, I I saw you also set up some some little uh, sort of uh, manifesto for for like uh, a guideline uh, with this um, nine sentences where you define a little bit what is going to be the design um, the design um, guideline and also I think the workflow guideline because also um, I, I feel that you wanted to mention the cope and yeah working together towards towards the the project and um, this is interesting for me um, many offices that are very famous um, have to define their line by one person so to say because the design is very um, very clear like for example I can mention not by one person, but they have sort of a line of design, so to say. They have you can recognize who did the project, and and your projects are very very different from one another. Uh, what is your design process uh, and design method that you use at the office that that it has worked for you so far? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. If you talk about the philosophy of the company, uh, we are discussing it a lot, of course. Uh, I, has, I have to say, because it's really new, that uh, uh, I told you in the, in the informal question that we are now, we started Studio United with four partners. And at the moment, uh, we actually uh, are connected with four associate partners as well. Eh? So we are sort of a bit of growing, also growing in ambition. Uh, they are four people who work uh, for a while uh, with us and we knew the talents and, and the creativity. So now they are a, a part of the team and the partnership as well. Um, so we have a lot with a, with a big group, eh? like seven, eight partners uh, discussing all the time uh, uh, what our goals and missions are in, in the future. Um, but if you if you think about the design process, uh, I, I might, it's better maybe for me to introduce something how uh, how we work a little bit um, because uh, we are we are mostly interested. We always said to clients we like to build in urban cities. Uh, that's how it started because there the complexity is maximum, and then we have maximum. We need maximum creativity to solve the problems. Uh, so that's basically how it all started. But um, now we are still uh, we we are still thinking and and looking at the world, which is changing 
rapidly as we speak. Uh, so it's totally, uh, the world is in transition all the time. And that's actually a very good thing, but it's also a very tricky thing because if you look at architects, um, uh, it's it's a different profession. Hey? We are actually one of the professions which are one of the slowest, actually. Yeah? If, to, if we build a, a project of, let's say, 150 apartments, uh, it takes us uh, some two, three to four years uh, from scratch, uh, the first sketches to uh, to completion. So uh, in, in, in that time, in that time scale, uh, the programs already change. Yeah? So uh, sometimes we are already, we're making the building and we, we made the ideas four years ago, which are actually stupid in a world which is so quickly and so uh, rapidly changing. And if you look at, uh, for example, libraries in the last 15 years, libraries are no longer the libraries we used to go. In my, during my time, I was renting a book and, and reading a book there. And if you go to the library now, it's totally different. They do workshops and it's all computerized and stuff like that. So airports, shopping malls, libraries, everything has changed or during, uh, during the last uh, 10 to 15 years. So our profession is not keeping up because we are actually too slow. So that's basically one thing. And if you look at what is happening in the cities at the moment, it's, it, they're getting denser and denser. Uh, it's even said that in 2050, I think, 70% um, of the whole uh, population on earth is living in cities. Um, and that means, and you can already see it in uh, densely populated cities in the world, you see that houses are really getting smaller and smaller. The workspaces are getting smaller. So people are getting squeezed into the urban density of a city. Um, but the public space is lacking. So because, uh, uh, yeah, that's basically a whole different story. But um, if you, because we, we're trying to, to, to make more houses, because yeah. the city is getting more denser and public space is getting less and less uh, because, um, um, you know, um, because the, the, if you look at the market economy, it's totally changing the whole way of living in urban cities. Now the, the private sector is winning and gaining uh, everything. So the public, the public sector is changed into the private sector, which costs a lot of money and is difficult for, for a lot of people in, uh, in the world. So um, the question is, how can the public return into the private? And that's basically one of the main sentences for our company. We see that the urban, um, yeah, the urban, um, uh, the urban quality and the, and the public space is really lacking in a lot of cities. And uh, um, maybe you know, but uh, there's of course the famous Danish architect uh, called Jan Gale. Uh, who gives beautiful lectures around the world and he is always searching and his whole life he's committed to searching uh, to improve the quality of people in urban uh, densities uh, in cities and uh, he has a famous quote which i really like actually he said postmodernism and modernism uh, together with the cars destroyed uh, uh, the public uh, public uh, domain um, and if you think about that, it's really true, eh? because if, if he always uses images like, uh, for example, Dubai, where you see this monolith, beautiful tower building, bang, put on the plot, and all the rest space is a sort of, uh, uh, the rest space is then filled with, uh, with cars, uh, and that should be the public space. So the lack of public space is really asking for an architect to do something with that. And we think our offices, uh, uh, everybody wants a healthy city, everybody wants a sustainable city, a livable city where you can meet people, 
inter engage with each other. Uh, uh, um, uh, maybe yeah, also uh, provide knowledge to each other. That's that's the city we want. And of course, in in your mind, you have the beautiful squares in uh, beautiful villages in Europe, uh, like Italy, where everybody meets there. There used to be a marketplace. People gather, people exchange ideas. That's really lacking at the moment. So we were saying to each other, can we uh, can we sort of make places where people can interact or uh, can meet each other? And that's basically how our office is working uh, on every scale. Like our own office is even a space like that. We call it the we space. And maybe you saw that in, on the internet as well. Um, um, but it's also into our, all the interior projects, urban projects, housing projects, office buildings. Uh, so we were searching for new ways of interventions in all these layers of design where people can meet each other and where they can interact. And it's not like making a hole or just uh, fill it up with something and you can uh, drink your coffee there. Now it has to be a place where, which really communicates to everybody around it. So people should love it, should, people should enjoy it. And you can, yeah, I think you can do that in, in many ways. Um, let's, if you talk about WeSpace, we have some good examples to, to, to show you why all the projects are different. Because the one, one example we have is like a, a student housing project where the client said, uh, we really want some outdoor space somewhere at the back of the building for all the students. Uh, can you arrange that? And, uh, we said in our design, we have to make something really strong. It should be a real intervention in the building. It should be uh, even, it should even look at the, uh, make a new identity for the building. So we made a whole roof, uh, sort of connected urban landscape of outdoor terraces where people can meet, they can fall in love or have a party. So um, basically by doing that on such an extreme way in a, such a strong intervention, um, we reinvented places where things can happen instead of uh, all the uh, uh, predictable places in, uh, in in public space. So uh, that's only one example. And another example I really like is um, an office building in, in Hilversum, which is an old uh, industrial area where we wanted the, the client wanted to transform uh, uh, an office building into a new way of working and um, instead of and we couldn't even find the door eh? there was a sort of old building beautifully uh, old uh, post modernistic almost um, and we were thinking uh, okay what what shall we do and if we look at the urban plan we made there uh, we could imagine that uh, the urban route walking through the urban plan should go straight through the building so instead of having no entrance we said why don't we make a very obvious entrance, but a beautiful one? So we cut out a sort of uh, uh, orthogonal language a hole in the building on two sides. We connected it internally on different ways. So when you enter that entrance, uh, it's a sort of almost you don't understand it at once. It's a sort of mixture of uh, beautiful experience, old structures you see, because we cut out a lot of floors and, and facade elements. Um, so the identity of the building became strong. You could now, as a sort of semi-public space, walk through the building, be connected to people who work there. And, and uh, around that uh, intervention, we created, of course, the stairs and also the, uh, the, the surfaces, like, uh, like a restaurant and stuff like that. So it, the intervention is something the people who work there, they are really proud of it. They, they're 
happy to show you around and, and bring you in and then everybody oh yeah that's where i work and you can see it there and that's my uh, the other department so uh they are um much happier than just a regular office place stacked on top of each other with a with a staircase somewhere so um we try to do in every way in every project on every scale we try to rethink the intervention we're going to make to make people meet each other so that's basically we, the interaction we see we seek uh, for the people we wanted to have but we have more design tools so um one example more from the, from the we space is for example now we are almost finished with a, an office building in the center of amsterdam where we created a sort of staircase with very big plateaus surrounded with greenery uh, so the stair uh, is actually not a stair anymore it's of course it's a stair to bring you from a to b but the plateaus are so comfortable and they're surrounded by green they're even very uh, uh yeah uh, very beautiful so and the plateaus are so big you can drink your coffee there you can even meet people there you can even have a party there or a lecture there so it invites the use of the program on the in in such a way the client didn't ask for so we gave we, we tried to give the client something extra which he didn't ask for he didn't ask for a, a meeting place on on the stairs on, on every level um, but by doing that uh, people enjoy walking and it's healthier the green is healthier it's a bream building etc etc so in the end uh, the identity of the building is a part of the intervention we do on every scale and um, you mentioned uh, before we started that you liked uh, the Westbeat project and that's actually also a very important design tool instead of doing a small intervention uh, at, a, at, at an entrance or, or, or in a structure. Uh, that project was totally different. The client, uh, it's in the west part of Amsterdam, which is not, was not the beautiful, most beautiful place to live. But it's a big housing project, actually. And the client and the municipality just said, uh, they asked for a building which uh, is so strong and so beautiful that people really want to go there. So how do you do that? And we won the competition by saying, OK, the housing will be, of course, a uh, very uh, cleverly orientated and and of course on, on top of a uh, sort of plinth uh, like uh, like every normal building but uh, we decided not to make the plinth like a regular plinth with program on the sides and then parking in the middle or whatever uh, we decided to lift the whole building and make a, a beautiful arches uh, like uh, i think we have 80 arches or something uh, which are all different. It's a square, it's a sort of plaza from 65 by 50 meters, concrete arches, and some are even nine meters high. And uh, the design tool we use there, that the space is so strong in itself, it cannot be destroyed because the program, and as I told you before, our, our profession is so slow. It takes four years to complete that project. Um, it's it's now it's, it's it's completed, but we didn't know in the beginning uh, what kind of program would be there four years later. Um, so that's why we designed the uh, these beautiful arches, which have would have an open connection to all kind of urban uh, urban factory around it. So it's a sort of um, it's a, it's a it's a beautiful connection to the urban, urban streets uh, around it. So that's that's one very important thing. But the other thing is that it's suitable for any program. Now it's filled with people who work there. There's a restaurant. There's even a concert hall where you can do performances and meet each other. And of course, all these apartments above, these people come down in the same and meet each other in the same area. 
So it's a really lively place. And I think it, it becomes uh, even more lively every day. So maybe if you visit it sometimes, uh, you will see how it works. Uh, but that's the tool we used is to, to make a really strong ingredient, which cannot be destroyed. I don't really mind if, let's say, in five to 10 years, the program will be changed into a, maybe a library or something completely different because i think it it also suits there i think people really would like to go there and read a book or uh, or meet people in in workshops or whatever so um for me uh, i think the tool we use there is uh, is extremely good but it's 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 of course a, a big gesture huh? it's a, it's a, <laughs> you cannot do it in every project but uh, this one really worked uh, quite well yeah um i i love i love uh i love that project as you said the, the process is so slow that the first time i saw it was just a rendering and a few weeks ago i think uh, i saw again the photos the photos and i said oh finally it's there and it looks uh quite uh quite like on the first images and uh you mentioned young gale that's an awesome mention and quote because uh he is also a very important figure for myself because exactly the topics and the problems that uh, he talks about were the um, guideline for my thesis because I I'm usually I grew up in Rome uh, an Italian city and he explains a lot through the Italian city and I live in Frankfurt which is a city that's very modern and has been rebuilt uh, after the war and uh, I was trying in my thesis to translate exactly what young Gale uh, explains in 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 his books uh like the the live, livable city in a modern architectural language and uh and try to mix the functions because this is also another problem that uh in in the 19th century we have had this zoning more or less here we work here we live here we go shopping and now we're going back um back to this mix and also another thing that i can recognize in your project and what he also mentioned is that um, we lost a little bit the beauty of the architecture itself the beauty of the facades that makes you like to watch the building and we have these very squared cubicle uh cubicle boxes from 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 the modernism and postmodernism. and i'm i'm but i always like to uh we architects are the designer but in the end of the day, we're not the one that have the last word. Uh, and I'm, I wanted to ask you uh, if you have any insider or any personal suggestions, how uh, can architects better expose their design ideas to the developers in the end of the day, which are the people who are going to pay for the building? Because sometimes it happens that they're more interested into the square meters purely and numbers of that sort uh, so how mm. can you take these values that you have and and sell them then to the developer to make him go with the idea yeah that's a that's a good question because we always struggle with uh how much money does a client have for which uh, which project uh, um uh, first of all, um, the interventions we do are mostly not, as you said, all the projects are different, but mostly we always try to focus on one really strong intervention. So if you talk about money, the money goes into that strong intervention. Of course, the rest should be really good, 
uh, like a lot of beautiful facades we are making and, and uh, but a lot of architects in around the world can make beautiful facades so I think that will not be the discussion the, the intervention is always the discussion point for the developer or the client or whatever uh, and on different scales I can explain you why you can sell it maybe to a, con a developer uh, um, if you if you think think about the we space uh, um, uh, intervention we we do in some project um, for example uh, if you have an, an, an anonymous building which uh, a developer wants to develop or he wants to have rental spaces for uh, for people who can work there and he he thinks he thinks that there should be a really a beautiful places for to work to to have, to have meetings to lunch to drink coffee blah 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 I think the program will not be new but the way you organize it, that's something where architects can be inventive and can be creating something new. And if we do an, uh, if we do a, make a sort of uh, intervention in a building, then we can explain, or what we always do is by making that intervention, we're not only solving the infrastructure inside the building, for example, the staircase or whatever, we're not only solving that, but we also make a new identity for the whole building uh, which people can love or hate, but of course we try to sell it to the client that people will love it and will use it. And then it becomes a bit more interesting for the, for the developer because he knows that if the whole building is boring, uh, who wants to rent it eh? or who wants to live there? And he knows that if the, if the intervention is really good, people will love that space and it's a sort of extra quality added to the program. It's a sort of extra quality added to the whole building so people are proud to rent the space. You know, I rent that space in uh, from Studio Nine Dots with all these arches, or I rent that space where uh, I can rent a house where I can have these be a part of the terrace uh, experience. Um, if you can sell that to the client, he sees the quality in social, the social quality of that intervention, and uh, I think then he can rent it out better. He can sell it better. He can. Uh, it will be. Uh, um, for the future, uh, people are more happy there. Um, so that's basically how we try to do it. It's a sort of extra added quality, um, uh, which is not only for the intervention because we as architects like it, but it's, it, it, it will make a new, a strong identity for the whole project and also for the building. And, and most of the time they come to us and they say, can you make a building? But of course they want something beautiful with a strong identity. So uh, uh yeah that's basically the, the main question from clients so we always try to to figure that out how how can we have a sort of win-win combination <laughs> and it's the same with uh urban plans uh, maybe it's it's a different question from you but in urban plans you see that the, the cars are getting pushed out of the urban plans nowadays which i think is good but there still has to be some cars you can put them on the ground you can also try to to rethink uh, where where do we put them now? Huh? And we we in one of our urban plans we designed a sort of uh, parking garage on uh, inside. That's uh, a it's a project project in Utrecht where there was an old building. Um, the old building was really beautiful and is still beautiful. And we made some new development around it. And the client said, uh, okay, but the, how do we? Uh, transform the, the old building into something I can rent out. I, I, it's not usable right now. And in the center of the building, it is a very deep building and big box. 
in the center is really dark and I cannot, uh, I cannot rent it out like this. So we decided to put a, gar a parking garage in the center of that block. So we had a sort of win-win because by doing that, we, uh, all the cars were out of sight and they were inside the old building. Uh, so nobody sees them. So that's an advantage. And it's a sort of uh, carless area where pe pe people can walk, walk from the garage. At the same time, by doing that, uh, all the people who come by car, they still activate and, uh, and, and, and activate the whole building because they will meet each other there. They step out of the car, they drink coffee, and then they walk home, for example. So we made the building, the unusual space, we, we made more usual. So uh, maybe uh, there's all small examples. I can go to every project, but uh, in every project, we try to find up a story to sell it to the, to the, to the client and to the developer in such a way. It's, it's also an advantage for him because he, always, he also wants to rent out the space. He, al he also wants to sell the houses and make something beautiful, but he doesn't want to have an ugly parking garage somewhere in the middle of the urban plan. So for him, it's also... Yeah, it's a sort of win-win combination we're always looking for by doing the right intervention. And that's quite difficult, but it's a, it takes you a lot of study uh, in a, each project. Our uh, process as architects is also so slow because so many people are involved uh, in the process, uh, not only the architects, but the construction companies, the engineers, uh, and uh, nonetheless, the, the city and the authorities. Um, I was wondering, because I always try to compare what you say compared to my experience, which is way smaller than yours, but it's in, in, in a country next to the Netherlands, Germany, where regulations are very, very strict here regarding everything. You can imagine fire security in case of uh, parking spaces, the air quality and the air flows and things like that. Uh, I'm curious how it is in the Netherlands. Uh, what is your experience with with the authorities there? And are there the regulations a little bit more allowing you to go with this more experimental um, um, yeah, projects or more um how to how do i say it uh unconventional solutions so to say yeah yeah um uh, we i think we have maybe a little bit less but we have the same problems of course we, we now in holland it's also uh, there's there are new regulations all the time and this year we they introduced the, the, the bank for example which is a very sustainable ingredient uh <laughs> Uh, you have to, uh, the, the all the buildings we make have to have to be uh, uh, right according to that regulation, which is uh, sometimes a pain in the ass. You cannot freely design anymore. But um, to give you an example, maybe how how it works in our minds is that, uh, for example, we are working different competitions at the moment where the regulations has changed. Uh, there used to be, for example, in the time where we did Westbeat with these uh, beautiful arches, uh, that then. Uh, in that period, they said uh, the most points for the competition are uh, you can win if you do beautiful architecture and if you do something really good to, to make it work there, to make the, the urban factory come to life again. Um, in the latest, uh, let's say, competitions in Amsterdam, uh, the municipality uh, <laughs> almost gives no point for architecture anymore. They only give points for sustainability and for 
biodiversity. They say they, these animals have to live there, the plants have to grow there, etc., etc. And if you only think about it, oh, now my architecture is limited, um, then you have a sort of, uh, then you cannot do anything because if you make a beautiful building and you want to make it brick, it's totally not uh, according to the biodiversity rules and regulations. So you get no points. But you can also look at it in the other way. Uh, we are quite creative as architects. So we are free to think about what if biodiversity is really important? Let's say the, how many earth do you need for uh, that animal to live there or that plant to grow there? Is it one meter? Is it, uh, is it small? Is it water, etc.? cetera? Um, uh, so uh, we are actually studying projects now where the, the nature is leading for our project. So we, we turn it around. We say the architecture is really following the regulations of nature and we don't know how it looks yet yet huh? we're not finished yet and it's not on our website yet but uh, i can imagine some beautiful uh, new architecture will uh, come out of it because of the strict regulations if you know what i mean so in, in forehand i would not be think of it as a, as a sort of a problem i would always think of a, a sort of a new way of uh, adding creativity and maybe come to something really new and hopefully the intervention is really something we can do there as well uh, and maybe you can experience the green and people love it and can can make use of it um, we also uh, another example is uh, also Westbeat, the project with the arches it's it's a really noise polluted area uh, so there's one sort of Leyland rushes rushing by and it's a lot of uh, uh, air pollution by uh, by the cars and we have the ring of Amsterdam which is connected so actually it's it's really on a on a on a corner plot uh, uh, divided by two roads with a lot of cars and noise uh, instead of seeing that as a problem and making a facade uh, closed or something uh, we try to 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 work with uh, and team up with uh, good advisors, like uh, not a, sort of technical advisors or, uh, or acoustic advisors in this way. Uh, and so we work together with them. How can we make uh, a new way of uh, blocking the sound of the cars, but not blocking the facade? Uh, we can do it with glass. We can do it with double layers. Blah blah blah. And then we came up, and then we studied uh, from which direction. The, the, the pollution, the car pollution, the noise, I mean, that came from, and it was actually from one direction. So it's not from the cars from that direction, but it was from the cars from the other direction. And that was very interesting because uh, then the, the, the advisor told us that if we open up the facade and make a green wall, like, you know, uh, you see a suit in all the, all the new projects, you see greenery everywhere. Eh? Uh, so if you make a green wall, uh, then the, the noise will, uh, hit the green wall that will be absorbed and then the, it will not enter the apartments or the or the corridors behind it uh, for the entrances of the houses so we we were able not to close the facade and make it green so we had a sort of win-win we could keep it open and we could make it green and the client wanted to pay for it because or he has to pay for the green or he has to pay for a double facade huh? so uh, and by doing this the, the building gets more beautiful uh, and we block the same sound. So sometimes strict regulations can uh, can also start something new. Huh? So it's a, in Dutch we call it the suscast. <laughs> it's sort of blocking the, the sound by making it go go around this way. But you can also do that with plants. So 
Um, yeah, maybe in Germany <laughs> the regulations are so strict uh, it's impossible, but I would always be open-minded with it and maybe think of one way out or use it in, in another way. No, definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, there are certain regulations that um, that limit, for example, um, for example, one one very strict regulation here is the one about fire safety, which limits uh, in some um, some office spaces, for example, this opportunity to keep open spaces throughout different floors, as you were mentioning so that people can actually see each other between the different uh, levels. But, uh, but of course, uh, one way of saying in English is uh, no pressure, no diamonds. So in this case, the pressure coming from, from the different factors uh, generates, as you said, these new evolutions um, of architecture. Um, in, in the beginning, you mentioned that your first project was the home for your, for your parents. Uh, parents-in-law, I think you said, or parents, I don't remember. And uh, now you mentioned competitions. One uh, very big uh, challenge for uh, architects uh, when they're starting is to get their first, uh, the first project because uh, they say that you cannot build a, a house before you have built a house. Uh, how do you get uh, most of your project nowadays with, uh, with the studio? Do you leverage now your longer experience and your and maybe there are some people that directly come to you and want you to to work for them or is it competition still the main um, way of getting new new projects that's also a good question uh, Georgie because uh, um, uh, we have a lot of discussion that internally and I can tell you why we have the discussions because uh, if you, for example, build a lot of housing projects, always the new clients who come to you are people who want you to make housing because you're very good at that. So once you do something, the new client will always ask you to do the same, eh, more or less, because you're good at it. And uh, originally, we are mostly a housing company. Eh, house, how do you say that? We are an architectural office building houses. Um, but of course, we want to build something else. We, we also would like to do different projects that could be office building, interior space, or even commercial buildings or whatever. Um, but if you're only building uh, art centers, uh, I, I recently heard uh, So Il, uh, the office in, uh, in New York, uh, Dutch, uh, the, uh, Flores, uh, the Dutch owner of So Il, he told uh, that he is now trying to make housing. <laughs> so you always, as an architect, maybe that's because of creativity, you always want something which is greener on the other side. So if you build houses, you want to do something else. If you're making interiors, you want to do housing. So, um, uh, and that makes it, of course, difficult because the clients who come to you are mostly the clients who come to you because they know you're good at that, that part of the architecture. Uh, so what we do is we... First of all, we want to do everything eh? from making a chair, designing a product to uh, maybe uh, uh, do whole urban plans or whatever. So um, every skill I think is important. It doesn't really matter as long as you can make your own story in it or design or do your intervention and contribute to, uh, to, the, to the public space uh, qualities. Um, if we can do that, uh, then we don't, that's basically what we want but yeah we have to work hard for it to get the clients in all these different skills so some are coming to us 
what a little bit easier because we did a lot of these projects and some we really have to work hard and do acquisition or competitions or whatever and uh, we still have a list of things we are looking forward to doing uh, once uh, the next uh, five years but uh, we still haven't have do not have the clients yet so um I hopefully they also uh, clients comes to us because they like to have a building where they have something beautiful and a, and a, and a smart intervention where people can enjoy uh, living or working there um, or using it. Um, so it's still hard working. I don't have a, a one proper answer to your question. Um, uh, yeah, we have a lot of partners who all do acquisition in different direction to get all hopefully all the different uh, projects. Because that's, I think, what every architect wants. And once and once an office grows bigger as yours, uh, another thing is that uh, in the beginning it's easier because you get another one project, maybe a loan or two, three people. But once you get a bigger team, you have to, you know, in advance have more and more <laughs> because it's like uh, having a, a big army. You know, you have to feed a lot of people. So I guess. Exactly. Uh, um, the stress gets more and more. And one thing that often happens is that uh, also when the companies grows and get bigger, uh, the founders and the people in charge, um, in some cases, get more and more away from the actual uh, nice work, which is designing, and they turn more into chasing uh, clients or dealing with uh, the problems that are not the very uh, fun one like that are related to business taxes uh, problems people leaving people coming and so on so I'm curious uh, what is your workday look like and what do you what kind of task do you mostly have um, yeah that's uh, it's, it's it's interesting. It's uh, all these things you mentioned. I, I, I can feel them because I, I, I experienced them all. I can tell you, um, but it's it's a sort of uh, how do you say dare to fail? Huh? I mean, by experiencing all the time, you you will find out that some skills of your company really don't work because then you have to do a lot yourself. Uh, doing this, I, I remember even when I was really small. I also have to do my own taxes and things, you know, I have to fill in forms. I have to do this, that, even the, uh, to get paid, I have to call the client, do you pay me? So if you do everything, sometimes it's really annoying. Um, and if you grow, uh, sometimes the skill is perfect because then you could have the, the people on the right spots and then it's a sort of balance. And then when you grow a little bit bigger, it becomes imbalanced again and then a bit, a bit bigger, and then it's a sort of a new way of balancing. So uh, it's a sort of try to try and error because uh, uh, we, we are still finding the perfect, uh, the perfect line because we are quite different than most of the companies uh, uh, I know. Um, but actually, if you ask me how we work, we have a sort of open-minded uh, office where we work with, uh, of course, we have the, the partners uh, and we will, we really want to divide all, all the projects and also all the designs. So uh, all the partners are part of uh, part of the the design, uh, uh, the, all the designs of Studio Nine Dots. Uh, and uh, uh, within the office, we work with three different 
large teams, you can say, and and the teams are uh, are different because one is uh, two of them are really architectural uh, teams which serve a lot of projects, and one is really the urban fabric where we uh, serve a lot of uh, urban plants. So these three are led by three uh, uh, creative people, important people, uh, and we all meet on Mondays. So Monday is really an important day because then we meet each other, the partners meet, we discuss all incoming projects, new projects, uh, old projects, problems, people, uh, we discuss uh, things, we even discuss designs uh, some, sometimes, and we also mostly on Monday evening, we discuss some further ideas the, a few of them we discussed already in some questions where did we go uh, do we have the right in interventions or whatever um, but for the rest of the week the teams and the team leaders are quite free to organize their own their own bubble you could say uh, if they want something they can arrange it and so we give the responsibility to a lot of persons in the office uh, it's it's a it's a risk Sometimes it, it fails, but sometimes it works quite well and they get a, a lot of responsibility, which they like. They can arrange it in their own way. And sometimes it really uh, it takes out, uh, it works out well. So uh, that's basically how it works. So Monday is a pressure cooker day where every work is divided and all the things are being uh, uh, discussed. And then the rest of the week people work and mostly in their own in their own things and own projects and stuff like that. And what is your bubble? Is more the competition side of the whole job or is it more on ongoing projects or both? Uh, really mixed, yeah. Uh, almost every partner has ongoing projects and almost every partner has a few, uh, we call it tenders nowadays, it's not really competition. Sometimes it's a pitch, a pitch for architects, but mostly it's competition, um, yeah. So it's, it's even there, it's nice to have a mixture. So in project, you want to have a mixture, yeah, big scale, small scale, you want to mix them all because then you can touch all the, all the layers of architecture. And uh, also in, uh, in work, you want to touch all the layers. You want to do competitions, but you also want to do one-on-one -on -one project. Yeah. And it's difficult. You have to work hard for that too to make it all work. It's not, you can make it much easier for yourself if you concentrate on only doing schools right? the rest of your life. And the one thing that is very peculiar for architects and designers in general is that as we don't do something um, that it's uh, written uh, in a book or written by a book, uh, it requires a lot of time. Uh, how are, how are, how is going for you with the extra time and extra hours uh, is, do you try to keep a, a right uh, work-life balance or uh, is it still some, sometimes very hellish where you have to go through very, very hard days <laughs> with the long, long yeah, hours? It's, it's basically both. Uh, we, have, uh, we have periods where uh, in Holland we have like, uh, it's strange, it's so, almost a sort of a ritual, <laughs> uh, but we always have two phases during the year where the pressure is higher. So just before the holidays in summertime, always just before the holidays, everybody wants to finish projects, wants to uh, uh, going for building permits or blah, blah, blah. So the pressure is always on on that time. And you have a sort of few points in a year, which is a sort of pressure cooker. Uh, besides that, um, I think 
yeah, I, an example now is we're going to move. Huh? So we now in a beautiful factory in Amsterdam North, and we are really working hard on a new. Uh, we we we're going to move to a new beautiful place, but that takes so much energy. We have to uh, uh, rebuild the other place. We have to move everything. We have to. Uh, that's 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 basically where we're in at the moment so the pressure is also on if you do something out of the ordinary workflow huh? so if you're not doing projects but if you do a whole movement of the office it takes a lot of energy from everybody huh? not only from the partners also from the uh, staff uh, so that's an important one and of course you have the COVID period huh? which was quite annoying sometimes you were uh, in a sort of make room and and feel like doing nothing and sometimes you work all day even the weekends uh, to cope up with projects uh, because yeah everything worked differently uh, in that period now now still a few people work uh, mostly at home uh, i don't know how it is in germany at the moment but um uh, yesterday there was a sort of uh, uh, a we press conference from our minister and he and we are sort of out of our lockdown finally but before that it was so unbalanced uh, to to organize everything in the right way and that costs you a lot of energy so sometimes we have energy and it's spoiled by something like that huh? so uh yeah but it goes like this it's uh it's hard work as i can tell you it's uh in Germany, the rule it's uh, it's lockdown, but you can go work, and you should go <laughs> work because <laughs> the economy is important too. So, uh, me personally, I haven't experienced uh, um, much of uh, working from home or lockdown, uh, and uh, I was uh, lucky to to stay healthy so far. Uh, so this is how it goes uh, here. Um, and um, one thing that I'm very curious about is uh, now we had talked a little bit about philosophy, the outcome of some projects, uh, client acquisition, and so on. Um, but how is uh, the 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 workflow when you receive the assignment uh, for a project? And the first idea is uh, that you have a competition team or multiple teams that do different competitions. Uh, do you gather ideas from all the members of the team and then you figure out which direction to take or maybe the competition manager arrives with some idea and then the team develops it and then you see how it outgoes uh, because it's, you know, the, the, the beauty of architecture is also that you work in teams and then and, and you have multiple minds coming together. So how do you proceed in this phase yeah if you if you if, if we get a new commission or uh, a competition it's it's both the same eh? you have to make a project uh, and you have to work hard on it so we have to uh, as i said on monday we discuss how to incorporate it in the ongoing uh, uh, projects uh, and we always know that there's a lot of communication between the client and be between developer, between uh, sometimes even more parties. Uh, so we want to have a project leader, first of all, who, wants, who works alongside everybody. And he is doing uh, the organization and uh, more or less the, the whole, uh, uh, the whole com communication of the project. Um, of course, one of the partners will be... Uh, um, uh, connected to the project as a main partner 
he is also uh, responsible for the end result and for the whole uh, yeah for the whole project actually. But we always do that in a body system. So there's, uh, out of the partners, we select two partners. So one is leading and one is his body. And that's basically, of course, with some other people around it, uh, the team which starts developing the project. And then uh, we have a sort of say the, the project leader. Of course, in a competition, you have a lot of other people like the constructor and and. and uh, uh, advisors like, uh, as I said, uh, the, the acoustic advisor, uh, climate advisor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you build a whole team. But from the inside of their office, we mostly have a project leader, some other uh, assistant uh, designers, and of course the leading partner and the body partner. And uh, that's basically the team, the team who start making the ideas and starting up the project. And then sometimes on Thursdays evenings. We put them on the table and then the, the, there's time for all the partners to look uh, over the shoulders and help the bodies if they need help or uh, even come with ideas if they need assistance. That's basically how every project is starting. So make a team, a body system, and then put it on the table. Uh, everybody has this overview once more and everybody knows then it's going in the right direction and then it continues with the same team again. Another curiosity that I wanted to ask you is that um, a lot of people that's going to listen to our conversation and then uh, if, uh, I mean, a lot of them will know you already and some will go through uh, the website or maybe see your works and uh, especially uh, younger people that are in architecture will consider joining, uh, try to join the office and the team to be part of this this. Uh, um this beautiful workshop for these uh, projects what are the tools that you guys use um uh in a practical way i mean of course a lot of probably model building and stuff like that but software wise nowadays i saw i had a lot of uh, people from uh the world of beam uh parametric design if somebody wants to join the office uh, what kind of skills or prerequisites should it should he or she have uh, in that sense what is good to learn to to join the office yeah um that's that's a question i would probably answer uh differently every uh, every month <laughs> because <laughs> it's 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 really uh, yeah it's not a static thing we don't look for that type of person or whatever uh, the most important thing maybe it's the most soft thing the most important thing is that we feel that somebody is uh, um, connected to our team, but as a whole, you're part of the family of Studio Ninders, and that should be a good feeling. If somebody is really good in what he's doing, but he doesn't fit in the whole family, uh, sort of family, yeah, um, um, then it doesn't work. So for us, the most important thing is that it's a nice person, it's a good person, uh, and he fits in uh, in the whole. Uh, in, uh, not of course, you don't have to be friends with everybody, but you have to fit in some way or another, and that's just a gut feeling and how people react on everybody. It's, you can tell it in not like in two weeks, but in half year, you you know it for sure. Uh, so that's basically the most important thing. Then, if you talk about skills, we always look for like every office, we look for talented persons uh, and that's uh, also a try and error system so sometimes we try with people and we are we thought like it was this level and we we, we cannot touch it it's all uh, 
much less than we expected. And sometimes people surprise us and they come in like a sort of training and within a year they can become project leader. Everything is possible in our office as long as you're committed and, and, and if, you're able, if, you're, if you want to grow. Um, and sometimes we really find searching for specialists like we are now uh, working with a new uh, drawing, 3D drawing uh, computer models. Uh, and sometimes you really need people with a lot of experience in that direction. But um, yeah, that's, I'm not going to say that we're searching these people uh, because I, I, for me, the important is the, is the atmosphere on the, in the, on the, on the floor. Uh, if everybody walks there with a smile and have the energy, I think the projects will be better. Yeah, that's very important because I know uh, it's important to have a good mood um, and I understand what you mean that when you go to work, there is nobody that completely ruins the atmosphere at work. You don't have to be best friends, but you have to be able to work and be uh, respectful and kind with each other and uh, constructive. So to say, in a sense, uh, to work together, not against each other. <laughs> as, as we started, I mean, we're not only so searching for interventions to make social interaction possible for in a project but also in the office we like if people interact with each other and and learn from each other and and and, and help each other or whatever then the community starts and i think if you're a part of the community you feel happy and you feel proud of being a part of so you you have a lot of fun going to your work instead of feeling the outsider or or yeah so I think community feeling is really important. Yeah, especially especially when you do uh, competitions or uh, feasibility st studies where you have uh, uh, deadlines, you have long hours together. Uh, often you stay in the office, you eat uh, pizza or something, and uh, it's sort of like uh, the sense of camaraderie builds together, and you really become like a, like a family. And is, is the team very international or, or is it uh, mainly Dutch? Is it a requirement to be like a Dutch native speaker or do you have also, I don't know, do you work a little bit in English at work too, how it is? Yeah, we are multi uh, multicultural. I think uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's also uh, important for us that we, we like to be uh, uh, sort of open for every, everybody and all the influences we can get. But I have to say, and it's really uh, something strange to hear maybe, because um, uh, if you want to grow to a sort of project leader, we, we still know that in Holland, it's for, for a lot of clients, not for us, for the clients, it's important that a project leader speaks the, the native language. Uh, so you, uh, we have a lot of people speaking English in the office, uh, which is not, actually no problem, uh, especially not discussing a project. Um, but for the clients and the developers and sometimes to lead a project in a very rapid way or a lot of information and making contact, emails, stuff like that, if you do not speak the language, it's, you miss a lot. So uh, I have to be honest about it. That's still not working with internationals uh, unless they're very good in organizing that. But it's more difficult, I can tell you. So yeah. most project leaders are speaking uh, Dutch as well. But, but they can be two languages. Some some foreigners uh, in our office speak uh, uh, better and better Dutch, huh? let's say. So that's uh, that's also good. I mean, yeah.
Yeah, also because of uh, all the regulations that you have to read and uh, uh, mm-hmm. I guess also when you submit uh, the project for construction permit, you have to fill out uh, some paperwork that's in Dutch. Uh, I mean, I talk with experience with somebody uh, somebody that came to Germany with, with no German at all and uh, now I managed to speak yeah. <laughs> and go to meetings. So I guess... Um, But also in, in, in our office, we, we speak a lot of English because it's nice. Uh, we were talking about that a few, a few days ago that uh, there are people from almost every part of the world, every continent, so many languages, cultures, uh, and, this is, uh, and this is nice. Um, and I guess that in your, in your, uh, in your office, it's like this too. Is it easier to, to find people in, in, in the Netherlands for, as architects because you have these uh, strong schools that uh, generate this? Uh, their, like, for example, they say uh, in the US, uh, Silicon Valley, it's uh, uh, where all the companies and tech startups uh, were born and that where they start. It's because of all the university you have uh, there, Princeton and so on. Caltech and so that they are like a hive for generating talent. Um, do you have a little bit that in, in the, the Netherlands? Well, at the moment, uh, there's, I don't know what's happening, but it's, it's quite difficult to find good people. So uh, I cannot, have, I do not have a feeling that it's easy to find them. And uh, of course we have good education schools and we have some technical schools where people are worked to are used to work in practice so we ha- they have a lot of experience in the practice and that's good uh, some let's say the technical university are less practical but more conceptual sometimes uh, so you can choose where you where you're searching a little bit but it's quite difficult nowadays um, so I cannot say it's easier in Netherlands or people from out of uh, from abroad or whatever now. And actually, I'm not the one judging all the, uh, the persons uh, who we are hiring. So it's not really my department. Uh, but uh, yeah, as I can hear, uh, that's quite difficult to find because we do some requests sometimes and it's difficult to find the right people. No, definitely. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't think that you were the one evaluating every single application. But you know, for example, there are a lot of chit chat. Uh, there are a lot of chit chat around the office also, uh, where work sometimes we chit chat. Even I'm not at all involved into that part of the <laughs> of the work. But uh, yeah, sometimes they would come and tell us, "Yeah, do you know somebody that can do that or this?" Because uh, we're looking for people and we cannot find people. So. <laughs> So it's uh, some sort of uh, gossiping that goes through. I think every every. Big no, I, I can tell you at at the moment <laughs> we are we are really looking for people. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so if people are interested, uh, they can they can easily connect to us. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's not that that easy to find uh, the right persons. Is it uh, the new office where you're moving in? I saw a few months ago when you first announced through your through your social media that you were looking for a space? Is it going to be uh, a bigger space where you can then uh, grow the family further on? Uh, and uh... 
Well, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, the contract is not ready yet. So we are not certain if we move there, but uh, we wish to do more or less the same as we have now. So we want to make a sort of social place with different companies coming together, exchanging ideas and maybe work together as well. Uh, so it's going to be uh, maybe the same size or a bit bigger. Yeah. And um, before... Before in our conversation, we were mentioning how architecture, it's a little bit steady compared to the fast paced uh, uh, world. And, um, and um, one question that I would have for a person like you that it's involved into trying to build some, some, some things that are more future oriented or more um, timeless oriented um, do you think that um, another factor that will uh, in, in, be more and more involved in the way we use architecture will be um, technology in a sense I make also always this example for example in automotive which is the next bigger object that we have in our society we have now more and more car sharing where you just uh, use your phone and pick up a car on the street and and um, and you use it and then you park it somewhere and somebody else can use it. Um, do you think that uh, technology can be also implemented or will be implemented in that sense in, 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 um, in architecture? Also now because of the, the pandemic, we have seen it, uh, that the, the way of work also of life has changed um, that maybe we are more decentralized where you can go with your phone in, in a building and check out through an app. There is a free room I can go get in with my laptop, sit, work for two, three hours. Uh, do you think this will be the next step that we build these um, buildings, but they will be more and more for everybody uh, throughout technology? That, um, the only thing I do not really understand about the question is: it, Do you ask me if it's uh, if it's going to be a design tool, if architecture will be uh, developed by the new technology, or do you mean implemented in architecture? Because if you mean the last one, uh, it's already being done a lot. I mean, even uh, car sharing, we use it in competition to to discuss the amount of parking spaces and stuff like that. So if, if if you talk about implementing the new technologies, I would say definitely they will all be added to uh, buildings or concepts or whatever. But um, if you say it will also be a part of design, then I think you mean a sort of maybe paramedic design. And uh, I think it might happen, um, but then it should be a strong ingredient. Yeah? So um, if you talk about sharing cars, uh, I don't think that will will make new architecture. No, I think it can only provide uh, stories uh, as a sort of parts parts of the architecture, but it cannot provide the architecture. If you know what I mean. No, no, of course, uh, exactly what I meant is um, it's uh, implementing, uh, be implemented in architecture, but by implementing into architecture, uh, it will change. Maybe if it will change a little bit architecture and the concepts that we have um, of certain buildings right now, for example, um, as you as you mentioned, not only the office buildings but 
uh, even hotels. We have uh, now we have Airbnb that it's, uh, for example, everybody can share their flat. And maybe in the future, they won't be, um, I don't know, I can make a name, uh, a hotel that's just a hotel, but maybe it's a hotel with just a floor for rooms and then there are apartments. And then you can really, if you need to go for a month somewhere, you just go in. This is this is my idea of implementing architecture so that exactly change uh, the, the building types as, as uh, we have it now. And, and if... My my question was if implementation of technology can enhance even further on the concepts you were saying from from Young Gale. Yeah, that's a, because that's a that's a sensitive question because uh, if it if you ask me it, it uh, again I think it definitely will, will be implemented but we still stay humans eh? and we still want to meet people so uh, because of the technology you don't want to meet them in the most boring hotel ever so that will not work so it might work to make everything more efficient eh? or uh, uh, maybe maybe uh, um, so so i think for some some parts of the buildings or the concept we make it can it can work and and, and provide a better uh, yeah better better way of experiencing um, and it can only provide new concept if, if there's a really uh, a strong paramedic uh, uh, statement. For example, if you take the sun or if you take uh, a green, uh, as I told you before, if you, if you put it in paramedic design, then maybe the buildings will look and, and start to look something new because of the designs of that ingredient. But I think small technology uh, efficiencies will be a part of the maybe making a house better work or maybe make it safer or maybe quicker or better of it can react to if I do this, uh, it will react on me. Uh, but that's only the partial experience. Uh, what I find very interesting at the moment is that we can really, you know, the, the, the uh, how do you say the vernaculars, the, the the, the, the virtual the glasses, reality glasses, the Google virtual reality, yeah. Um, we're not going. It's not only interesting for using it in your design process because you can use it, to give it to the client, and you can experience the whole building or even fly over it. That's all. But it can also be a part of how we, um, how we, how we will live in the future. I mean, if if. Um, but it's almost a philosophical question because if we really are going to go there, do we need architecture? Because uh, in, in your virtual reality, you can make all the spaces you want uh, and you can be locked up in a, in a, in a, in a prison, but still experience uh, the Bahamas. Eh? So, uh, I mean, uh, it's almost, you're almost discussing it now in a philosophical way, how it will implement human life and human behavior. And uh, it's it, yeah, we can have a whole new podcast about that, I think, because it's uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, but what what I notice now is that all these gadgets and and even uh, solar solar uh, energy things and and uh, the way of car sharing, everything sharing, um, makes the sort of new stories for competitions, but it doesn't really change the way we make architecture at the moment.
who will live will see. I, I gonna I gonna <laughs> conclude the topic with this, um, and um, I, I would I would uh, I could talk to you for hours, uh, but I don't want to keep you away from uh, from from the the rest of your um, of your day uh, too much. Uh, I like to conclude each uh, conversation of our podcast with our different. Uh, guests on a positive note uh, by creating I, I like to call it the melting pot of um, inspiration and I always ask uh, all the guests uh, uh, what is their favorite um, uh, thing that uh, maybe they do to to get inspired if you have some a favorite book that you can suggest favorite movie uh, music you mentioned music uh, museum or event uh, you can mention not all of them or you can mention as much as you want you don't have to go through this you can just say something that you you like to to do or to consume or to experience to get uh, inspired mm. yeah that's a that's a nice one um Yeah, I would say to the people now in Holland, everything is open again. Eh? You can go to the museum and uh, uh, finally, uh, which is uh, which was closed for for a while. Um, I always, if I walk through through museum, I always get inspired because I see so many different things. I cannot, uh, I cannot never think of it myself. So I'm always inspired by uh, walking around in museums, and sometimes I do that. Uh, uh, twice a month, but uh, especially once a month, I'm into one of the museums in, uh, in the Netherlands. Um, and during my whole life, I'm, but it's personal, uh, I think every partner has his own inspiration uh, platforms. Um, during my life, I'm always interested in, uh, in, this, uh, in the surrealistic combinations and that can be combinations in program, but can also be combinations in materials or even look and feel or, uh, or movies where Uh, things are really uh, uh, um, are sort of extracted out of the ordinary and put in each other in a new way. Uh, so if you talk about favorite books, uh, I'm, uh, I still have a list uh, in my uh, closet where all the books of uh, Bernard Sumi, the early, the early works, I mean, I think 94 or something, he wrote some books about Event Cities uh, series, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, as a student, I was really fond of that because In his books, uh, he was free to design uh, within a totally new way of thinking. Uh, he, he designed his uh, new buildings by extracting the program, which is normally always like this, and putting it in another way into each other. It's almost deconstructive architecture, but in a very clever way, uh, and creating events. And that's basically what Studio 9 does, does at the moment. We're trying to, to interact Uh, by doing smart interventions, we also try to provoke some new things that can happen there. Um, so I'm also always interested in a sort of uh, something which is not really perfect or something which is not really uh, correct, maybe. Um, so that inspires me. So um, it's not the latest book I've read, of course, because it's way back, the Tsumi uh, series. The latest book I read was uh, the one of uh, Bjarne Mastenbroek, which is called uh, Dig It. Uh, also very inspiring and educational, but it's, uh, yeah. So I think you should just go and get inspired because there's so many, so many beautiful books, buildings. Of course, you should visit a lot of buildings. I always make a list for myself 
uh, of buildings I really want to see. And if I go there in, or even in the neighborhood, I, I always try to visit them. So uh, in the end, uh, it makes you really be inspired and walking through the build, beautiful buildings is the most, uh, is the best way to, to, to get inspired in architecture, I think. That sounds great. And uh, I hope to have the opportunity to come back to Amsterdam soon so that I can uh, go experience some buildings from, uh, from Studio Nine Dots and uh, eventually uh, give you a call and go come say hi to, the, to, to, to you in the new, in the new office. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank, yeah. thank you very much, Metin. And I want to say that uh, it was a real pleasure and honor to talk to you. And I say to every guest, this was the first time on the podcast, but whenever uh, you or your colleagues or somebody from your office wants to come and share some story, you're always welcome back. Okay. Thanks a lot. Huh? Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much. Discussion. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey there, thank you very much for listening to this podcast and you have made it so far. Don't forget to follow all our content on Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube where you'll be able to see some videos and a full video podcast. And also don't forget to subscribe to our monthly newsletter so that you can get everything about the Creative Insider and the latest news from the podcast. Just check the links below and thank you very much for listening again. Bye bye and have a good week.